actually are prayer warriors. So if you're a prayer warrior mother in here, would you stand? We'd like to honor you this morning. All our moms, let's stand. Come on, don't be shy. Thank you for all that you do for us. Remain standing. Men, let's join them, and the rest of us are going to stand in honor of God's word as we talk about an important subject of great faith found in the beautiful passage, the narrative of Matthew 15, beginning with verse 21 through verse 26. Let's read it together, if you will, just follow along with me. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Father, we thank you for the joy that's ours to honor the mothers that you've given us. Thank you for their investment into our lives, for the trust that you endowed upon them the moment that, that, that we were conceived and as we grew and as we were shaped and brought into this world for the dedication and the commitment that our mothers exhibited in helping us develop, not just physically, emotionally, but also spiritually. Lord, I pray that you'd use this time to help strengthen our faith as parents, as grandparents, and even as great-grandparents. Thank you for the joy that's ours to be in this place this morning. We honor you, and may everything that is said and done glorify you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It was interesting, that little video that we saw is an interesting reminder of how mothers are, in fact, warriors. I don't know of any mother that's not a warrior, and the reason why they're not a warrior is simply because to put up the little munchkins on a day-to-day basis, it's like war. Right, ladies? Sometimes it's like war. Now, we just spent less than two days at Matt and Jamie's house down in Texas celebrating Caden, our oldest grandson's birthday, who turned seven today. And we had the party yesterday morning. We went down there uh, late Thursday afternoon and were there less than 48 hours. I can guarantee you it's a busy life. Four children under seven. One seven today, two five-year-old twins, and one Canaan Knox Boswell, who's nine months old. And as you watch the interaction, there are times you just wonder, how did we survive as parents? And then when we watch our children parent their children, we say, thank you, God, it's their turn. I'm done with mine. Isn't that right? Until they may happen to drop them off for a week while they go on vacation or somewhere, And then you can't wait till that day comes, you know, back when mom and dad come to retrieve the little munchkins that they they put. So uh, we're going to talk about the importance of parenting today, not just mothers, but also fathers, grandparents, and great-grandparents. Because I think really it's not just a battle to contain them, but there is a spiritual battle that goes on in the day-to-day life for the lives and the souls and the witness of our children. There is an enemy. 
This enemy is very actively involved in seeking not just to devour and to destroy us as disciples, but I'm convinced that he is much like a roaring lion seeking to devour and to destroy even the lives of our precious children. He is very actively involved in trying to destroy them, trying to prevent them from coming to faith in Christ. And once they come to faith in Christ, he is trying as the enemy, as the adversary, as the devil seeks to do to unleash his demonic forces on the family today to destroy the parents, the moms, and the dads, but also, I'm convinced, to destroy the children. The children are, I believe, one of his main targets today. Because in essence, it's the children that eventually grow up to become adults that set policy and that govern the country and set the course of everyone's life. And so he's constantly working to undermine the work of the parent, no matter how godly they may be, to counteract that work, to contradict that work, to kill the work that the Spirit wants to do. And it's vitally important that we as parents Moms and dads understand, even as grandparents, our roles to become prayer warriors standing in the gap for our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. And so we're going to take a look at a passage in Matthew chapter 15 that helps us understand how we, as parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, can exhibit great faith. Because I'm convinced that more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. And the reason I say that is because there was a generation that believed that if I just sat my kids down and taught them, they would, they, would, they would embrace the faith and live out the faith that I proclaim. And that's not necessarily true. That generation that said, say what I do, don't do what I do, is long gone. And what we're wanting, what we're wanting I think, for us to exhibit to our kids is a life of faith, not just saying something, but actually living it out, passing on our faith, not just by our words, which are important. And I think we should instruct and we should teach and we should educate spiritually our children, but we must also live out our faith so that our kids can see it in a practical, realistic way. And here we have, in Matthew chapter 15, a beautiful picture of a lady who exhibits such faith, not just for her daughter, but for us as well today. And this mother has a problem. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And it is a, not just a subtle reminder, but a serious reminder that we, like this mother, need to stand in the gap, moms and dads and grandparents, for the lives of our kids are at stake. And the lives of our grandchildren hang in the balance. And if we, if we don't exhibit this kind of faith... They stand to lose. So let's take a look at this faith. First of all, I want to notice in this text that we see that this mother exhibited great faith in that she reached for the right person. She reached for the right person. Notice in the text it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was dying. A dying, was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, in the, in the verse previous to this, when we see that Jesus was teaching in the northern region of the Sea of Galilee, and from verses 1 through 20, he has a, an argument, a debate 
with some religious elite who, for whatever reason, are rejecting him. They're refusing to buy into the fact that he's the Messiah and to put their faith in him. They are not wanting to put their faith in this Jesus. They're wanting to debate and discuss and dialogue, but they're not interested in putting faith in Christ. I think that was a, a very disappointing time in the heart of Christ because he, wants, he came to seek and to save all of those who had placed their faith and trust in him. And it hurt him, the fact that his, that his very own people, the people that God had sent him to reach, were saying no to his claims and no to his lordship. And so he leaves that region. He begins to travel to a, a very distant place on the western shore, or western from the Sea of Galilee, on the, on the, on the shoreline of the Mediterranean. And there are two particular cities that he mentions in that verse, and those cities are incredibly wicked. They are the cities when he pronounces judgment over a few, a few cities in Israel who have rejected him and refused to believe in him. He says, woe unto those cities, for it will be more, more grievous, more, more difficult. It will be a greater punishment for you than these two cities, the city of Tyre and the city of Sidon. They were wicked places. They were places of pagan worship. And in this region, we see that the word Canaanite is mentioned. There was a group of Canaanites who occupied that land. Now, the Canaanites, if you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, were the people that God through Moses told Joshua that they must destroy, utterly wipe out, because if they didn't, they would infiltrate, they would begin to, to, uh, to, to worship false gods. And they didn't do it. So in this region were these Canaanites. But at the particular time of Jesus, we see that these Canaanites were people who by large were considered pagans anyway. And they were, they were very, uh, the, the Jewish people were very prejudicial against these Canaanites. Uh, they despised them. They hated them. They were pagan idolater worshipers. They worshiped false gods, man-made gods, not the one true living God. And Jesus now finds himself in this region, having been rejected by the people that he had he had been sent to reach, he finds himself in this region. And as he's traveling in this region, notice that a Canaanite woman steps out of the crowd. The most unlikely person of all persons that would want to connect with Jesus is this lady. Why? She is a pagan worshiper in the eyes of the disciples and in the eyes of everyone in Israel. And I can imagine as, as, as the, 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 uh, the book that Matthew wrote intended for the Jewish people as they read this, they gasped. <gasps> a Canaanite woman, oh my soul, how scandalous. Because you see, they didn't like the Canaanites, much less a Canaanite woman. And this Canaanite woman steps out of the crowd and she approaches Jesus and she cries. Now, the word crying here is, is not the sound that this little fellow's making right here. He's not bothering me at all, so don't you worry about that, okay? If I can stand a guy coming down here throwing money at my feet and then walking out, I can handle that. And if you weren't here for that, you missed it. We didn't get it on tape, I'm sorry, but uh, that's it's never dulled here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. But anyway, here we have a lady who is, Jesus sort of traveling. We're not sure if he's teaching or if he's just traveling or what he's doing. We're not told all of the details. But this lady steps out of the crowd and she begins to shout. 
She's at the top of her lungs trying to overcome the noise of the crowd and maybe the teaching of Jesus, and she's shouting, and it's, it's an idea of, of, of desperation, and she's crying out, and she's, she's unconcerned about what people may think or what they may not think, and she's crying out in a loud voice, and she's repeating it over and over and over again, have mercy on me, O son of David, have mercy on me, O son of David, and she goes on and on and on and on. She's becoming an annoyance. She's beginning to attract attention. But notice in her declaration, she says, Jesus, have mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is simply our not receiving what is rightfully ours to receive. We deserve to receive it, but because of the mercy of God, we have not received it. What is that? The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death. But because of the mercy of God, he gave us Christ, and now we don't receive what we rightfully deserve, which is punishment and condemnation, right? He didn't, didn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. And the lady is saying, I know I'm a pagan, idolatrous, worshipful, pagan, horrible, vile woman in the sight of all the Jewish people and especially you, Jesus, and I know I don't deserve what I'm asking, but I'm asking you to overlook that. Don't treat me as I deserve to be treated. Have mercy on me. And then notice she says, have mercy on me, O Lord. She identifies him as the master, as the Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then she says, son of David. So here she says, you are the Messiah, we're not sure exactly how, but this lady at some time in her life, maybe just prior to this encounter with Jesus, had heard that the Messiah was in town. And she probably said, what do you mean Messiah? And someone had, had, had the gall and the nerve to tell her that Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, is here and he is the Savior. And more than likely, as the Savior, not only does he have the power to change and transform your individual life, but he can change and transform the life of your daughter who is demon-possessed, and she believed that he could. He became her personal Messiah. He became her Savior. And now as her Savior, he is now going to be Lord, not only in her life, but Lord in her circumstance and Lord in her situation, this thing that she needed, not just for her, but also for her daughter. Personally, she believed in him. Personally, she had put her faith and trust in him. And that's why she's approaching him. And she approaches Jesus and oh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Where did she go with her problem? Probably more than likely, she had taken her daughter to many, many experts. Been all of their expertise and all of their education and all of the false gods that they had staked their lives on, nothing worked. The false gods that she more than likely had worshipped all of her life gave her no hope for her personal condition and for the condition of her daughter. And she was left in complete desperation. There was nowhere else to turn until finally somebody told her about Jesus. And when she put her faith in Jesus, where did she go? She went to Christ. When you have a circumstance or a situation or a difficulty or hardship, where do you go? Where do you go? Now, in this group, different than the other group, we pick up the telephone. Don't we? Come on, don't we? For some of us in here who are computer savvy enough, we may even go on the internet. Some of us may even go on Facebook. 
Well, some of us go in different places to different people for different things, but we, when we get into a jam and we find ourselves incapable of solving our own issues and solving our own problems, it's interesting to where we go. But this lady understood that after having gone to all these places only to end up with no solution at all to the condition of her daughter and her personal life, the only place and the only person to go to was none other than Jesus himself, and she went to Christ. So dare I encourage us and challenge us that when you find yourself in a place in your life where you have nowhere else to turn and the obstacle and the barrier that you have is so insurmountable and, and, and the barrier is so great, where should you turn? Where do you turn? Is he first choice or is he the last choice? If we are people of great faith... He should be our first choice, not our last choice. But we're going to give this little lady a break because she didn't know Jesus until later on in life. And once she came to faith in Christ, where did she turn to? She turned to Jesus. You're going to have issues, moms and dads, with young kids at some point as they're growing up. They're not always going to do what you want them to do, what you'd like them to do. They're going to they're gonna test you and challenge you. And where do you go? Where do you present your child? Who do you take your child to? When you fall on your face, what do you do? You present them to Christ and say, Lord, here they are. They're yours. You're my first priority. You're my first choice. Not only did he reach for the right person, but notice this lady realized the source of the problem. What was the source of the problem? She says the source of the problem. said, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Notice here she says, my daughter. That's the concern of a mother. A mother is always concerned about the welfare and the well-being of her child. And this mother had a concern, and the concern was about her daughter. And, and, and I begged it to say here this morning that every mother, every mother should have, and most mothers, 99.9% of mothers, always are concerned about the welfare and the well-being of their children. Why? Because it's unnatural for mothers not to be. And she's concerned. And the reason she's concerned, if you notice the condition, it, her daughter is severely oppressed by demons. The word is severely here means a word that means vile, it means hard, it means difficult. And her daughter is being severely beaten down by these demonic forces. It's a vile, wicked thing that her daughter is experiencing. And she knows the source of why her daughter is experiencing this. I don't know how she knew, but she knew that it was demons. She knew that it was something that was spiritual and she needed to go to Christ and these demons were suppressing the child and beating the child down and notice oppressed by demons she knew that it the solution was beside herself and that she had to turn to Jesus as the source for her only cure we have to come to Jesus with the spiritual solution to a spiritual problem because we fight and engage with a spiritual enemy we can't fight a spiritual enemy and engage in a spiritual battle with false gods and even with our own strength. We must recognize and realize that the source of the problem is Satan himself. That Satan is bearing down on our families, he's beating down on our children, and he's beating down on the culture that we live in. And so this lady then, thirdly, resisted the discouragement. Notice this incredible discouragement. She brought her Christ to Jesus, her child to Jesus, and she said, Jesus, I need your help. Have mercy on me. My child is demon-possessed. And notice what happens. But he did not answer her a word. Have you ever brought your problem to Christ and got nothing but silence? 
I guarantee you every one of us in this room have brought our, we have, we have carried our burden to Christ, we have laid it at his feet, and we have pleaded for his help, and all we heard was silence. We didn't hear a yes, we didn't hear a no, we didn't hear a maybe, just silence. How discouraging do you think this was for this mother who brought this problem to Jesus, believing that he could do something, trusting that he cared enough to do this, and all of a sudden all she got was silence. It wasn't because he didn't care. It wasn't because he wasn't concerned. It wasn't because he didn't love her. It wasn't because he couldn't do it. It wasn't because he wouldn't do it. He was just silent. And like here in your life and my life, whenever Jesus is silent, there's a reason. We're not really told what that reason is, but we can speculate because there's a greater purpose that Christ wanted to do here, not only in her life, but in the life of the disciples and in the life of the people who were there, if not just that, in the lives of those who would eventually read it then and those of us who are reading it today. There's a reason why he gives us his silence. But notice what his disciples do. They came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Send this lady away. Now, was this prejudice on their part? Were these disciples not happy that this Canaanite woman was coming to Jesus and, and, and creating a disturbance? Did they, were they so prejudiced that they just wanted her to leave? Possibly. They were annoyed at her request and didn't want anything to do with her? Probably. That could be one thing. Or maybe the disciples on the other side of the coin were simply saying, Jesus, tend to her need, answer her plea, give her what she wants because she's creating a scene here. Don't you care about her? Why, you've done this for other people who were not a part of, of the chosen race, the Jewish people. When you've healed others who were not our own. So why aren't you... We don't know what exactly they're saying here. I think more than likely they were wanting Jesus, I think, to do something about it because of the way he responds and reacts to, to this, this insistence on the disciples' part. I think they really cared about the lady to some degree, but they also wanted Jesus to attend to her needs so she would go away because she was being attractional and she was creating a disturbance. But nevertheless... We're not sure exactly what she understood the disciples say either. And so here we have the disciples and Jesus both. They're not attending to her need. And so discouragement began to sit in. But here I, I find in this lady that in spite of this incredible discouragement, she brought her need to Christ and he absolutely said nothing. And then these disciples are saying this other. So she's, she's discouraged. But great faith overcomes discouragement. Because there are going to be times in our lives where we're waiting for God to act and we're asking God to act and we're wanting God to act and we bring our request to him and he either is silent or he delays in his response and, and, and the longer he delays and the more he is silent, what happens? Seriously, what happens? We want to throw in the towel and walk away and say, there's nothing to this faith thing anyway. And all along, I think it was a test. God was putting her through the test much like Abraham. And show me, show me how much faith you have in spite of my silence. Well, the lady reached for the right person. She realized the source of the problem. She resisted discouragement. Fourthly, notice she reflected humility and she reflected adoration. But however, verse 25 said, however, she came and knelt before him. She was not going to be denied. 
She has one persistent little lady here. However, in spite of the discouragement, in spite of the, 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 the lack of acknowledgement, in spite of any kind of response, and even the disciples saying something, however, in spite of that, she burst from the crowd and she threw herself at Jesus' feet and she put her face in the ground and she lay before Christ prostrate before him. It was a, an act of humility on her part. It was complete and total desperation. This woman was completely filled with brokenness because in her self-sufficiency and all of her self-effort, she was broken to all of that, unlike the people previously that had an encounter with Christ who were standing on their own self-sufficiency. She now is broken. She is now completely desperate for him and for Jesus alone to do something in her life. And anytime you deflate or diminish yourself and elevate Jesus, isn't that an act of worship? And in this humiliating act of adoration and praise, she recognized the sovereignty of Jesus. Notice what she says. Notice as she's laying there, saying. This word saying is different than the one that was used before. Her tone is different. Her voice is different. Where before she was like this and saying, hey, hey, Jesus. Now it's, hey, Jesus. Hey, Lord. It's a different tone. Lord, help me. Completely broken, completely desperate. She says, Lord, help me. She calls him Lord again. Why? Lord, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you are Lord. I know that you have authority. I know that you have power. I know that you can do whatever needs to be done to solve my problem. I know you can heal my daughter. I know you can set her free. I know who you are. You're Lord. If you want to, you can. And you're Lord of all. And I believe that because you're Lord, you can. I think we need to come with a great faith to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit and say, in spite of what I see and what I feel and what I know, in spite of your silence and my desperation and my brokenness, I believe that you are Lord, and if you can, you will. I know you can. You have what it takes. Notice then the refusal that she has to stop trusting and to, to not stop trusting in Jesus in verse 26. And Jesus now finally answers the woman after all of this. He answers the woman. Now, let me set this up first, ladies, because sometimes we men are a little bit insensitive. Have you noticed that, ladies? Come on, ladies, have you noticed that? Sometimes we're not quite as empathetic and sympathetic. Right, ladies? Can I get an amen on that? Well, Jesus is a man, but he's not being unsympathetic or uncaring, okay? That's not what he's doing. Should I say sometimes that's not what we're doing either, guys? Give us a break. <laughs> anyway, just the way God wired us, what can I say? But anyway, and he answered, I digress, so go back to Scripture. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whoa. Is that right? Now, the word dog here is a, is a domestic dog. It's a pet. How many people have a pet dog in their home? Can I get a witness? I am sorry you have a pet dog in your home. I know some people in here have two. Angela, my assistant, has two. 
Never mind. They're like babies. My parents have a dog. They treat it like, they treat it better than they treated us. When I go over there, you never did that to me. You never talked like that to me when I was a kid. Uh, my, my, my son has a, a dog he calls Watts. It's a lab. It's about this big. It's chocolate lab, beautiful dog, kind of always kind of greasy and always kind of hair going and tail bigger than life. Watts has a best friend now in the family, okay? And the best friend in the family of, 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 of the four kids is now Canon Knox, who is the youngest nine-month-old. Why would Watts, a lab, love Canon? Nine months. I mean, this little guy's like a bear. He's a chunk. He's not really, he's not fat, but he's just, he's just like a little bear. And he's got these big, we call them paws. They're like the big old hands. And, and he's nine, and so his motor skills, he's just developing them. And so they put little bits of pieces, you know, on the, on the tray there. And he's doing, you know, you know what I'm talking about? So what happens to the food? Winds up on the floor. Why does Watts love Cannon? Crumbs on the floor. And sometimes I, I looked at him and watched him eat, and I think more crumbs fall on the floor than in his mouth. Um, and, and Watts, you know, would it be right to take Cannon's food and just go ahead and give it to dog? Well, the lady says, no. You're right, Lord. It would not be right. But notice she said, even the dogs at the, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Interesting. What's he saying by that? What's she saying by that? He's saying, hey, lady, I've been sent to Israel. They're my first priority. And would it be fair for me who have been sent for the salvation of Israel first to take away their blessing and to give it to you? She says, no, it wouldn't, wouldn't be right, Jesus. However, I'm not asking for the full blessing. I'm just asking for this much. Just this much. Not all of it. Just this much. I think what she's saying is, I don't need all of your power. I don't need all of your blessing. I don't need all of you. All I need from you is this much from you can, can save my daughter. Just this much. Just a crumb. I know I don't deserve to be invited to the table and eat from, the, from, from, from what everybody, but, but, and I know I'm not either, but just this much, just this much power can solve my problem. And that's why Jesus says to her, you have incredible faith. This is why she has great faith. She has great personal faith in Jesus, I think, as her Savior and her Lord, and believes that this man, Jesus, who is the Messiah, who has become her master, she's asking for mercy, say, Lord, all I need is this much. I don't need it all. You know, this, this is a good anti-health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Okay? They want it all. And they're everywhere. And they're growing by leaps and bounds. We don't need all of the blessing. We could survive on just a crumb of the power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. She never stops trusting in Jesus. And notice what she receives. Unmerited favor from God. Then Jesus finally answers her and says, 
It's the kind of faith that he's looking for from her. This is the kind of confession that he's wanting from her. This is the kind of confession that he wants not only to come from her lips, but for the others to hear and for us to read even today. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Her faith, first of all, is personal. Your faith. It's not a borrowed faith. It's not someone else's faith. It's not even Israel's faith. It is her faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Great is your faith. It's a personal faith. I'm convinced you can't be the mom that God wants you to be or the father that that God wants you to be or the parent or the grandparent that you need to be without having a personal faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have the resources that are necessary. You don't have the skill. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the ability. And there will come times in your life, I know, and every parent in here can tell you that there are times when you must and you will fall on your face before God and turn your child over to the Father and say, I can't do it without you. You're my only hope. Every one of us in here who have parented have been on our face like this lady before Jesus. It was a personal faith, but it was a powerful faith. It was a great faith. It was a mature faith. It was a strong faith. It's a great faith. You say, well, when am I going to need great faith? Some of us in here, some of you young parents, when am I going to need that? Well, when your daughter goes on her first date. They don't have to be really, really horrible children. Just when they go on their first date. Or when that first boy knocks, you know, rings the doorbell and you open the door and he looks like the devil himself because you probably think he is. Are you hearing me? Over here? No man is worthy of your daughter. I only had one. Praise the Lord and gave her away. Love David. He's a wonderful man. I'm glad they're together. But if you're a dad, you know what I'm talking about. When they don't come in on time and they're supposed to. They've been punctual pretty much every time and now it's past curfew. You begin to wonder and worry. Or maybe when they're facing temptations and trials and struggles. Or maybe when your grandchildren, as you watch them growing up in a home that's not quite the kind of family you wished was exhibiting the kind of faith that you wished. You know what I'm talking about, grandparents? We need to stand in the gap. We need to lift our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren to the Lord and exhibit a kind of faith that this lady exhibited and put them before him and trust them with him as we live out our faith before them, believing in Jesus who can overcome any obstacle. He can tear down any barrier. He can help them walk the straight and narrow. He can be the voice that's louder than any other voice, the heartbeat that's longer than any other heartbeat, the, the, the sound that, of his ears that only he can hear. They can hear that the thing, the, the one and only person that they will see, even though there are all these things around them, he can zero in their focus and, and, and they can see only Jesus. I know the power of a praying parent. I stand here today because my mother would not release me and continued to beseech the throne of grace for me in very difficult time in my early years. Don't ever stop putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And going to him in prayer. 
Pray now for the children that your children will marry. Pray now for the grandchildren that they may give you someday. Pray now for the great-grandchildren that you will have. And begin to intercede for them as you stand in the gap. Putting your faith before the Father and trusting Him for the outcome. For that, in essence, is spiritual warfare for parents, for grandparents, and great-grandparents. We must stand in the gap. And live out a life of faith that this dear lady lived out. Because we see that she received her miracle. The impossible became possible. The mountain was removed. The demon was released. And the girl was set free. I can't imagine what that mother must have felt when her faith was rewarded by the father. And when Jesus released her from the demonic oppression and the influence and the possession that she was having. And the joy that was mom's to say, hey, little girl, let me tell you why you've been set free. There's a man named Jesus. Man, I've put my faith and trust in him. And you need to put your faith and trust in him as well. And two pagan, idolatrous, lost, evil, degenerate people found faith in Jesus. And Jesus made the difference in their lives. And he can make the difference in your life as well. If you'll put your faith in him. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Every Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 9.30 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship setting in a casual and relaxed atmosphere. Our second worship service begins at 10.50 a.m. in our worship center and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for children and adults of all ages are provided at 9.30 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com.